1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Oh, here we go, boys. Go. I love that sound. This is a good one. Welcome, everybody. You are listening to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. I am Dale Luganbill. Thank you very much for joining me. And this week's weekend recap and rant. I uh, traveled to uh, Twin Cities metropolitan area. So I was planning on going down there originally to scout for the upcoming Frankie's State Panfish Tournament. But earlier in the week, they canceled it due to lake conditions, which there was quite a bit of hubbub on uh, the social medias about it because we were just coming into a cold snap like well below zero cold snap um and everybody was like i feel like that was a little bit early you know there was already a tournament out there upl had a tournament and conditions were pretty crappy as far as like like there wasn't thin ice per se but there you know lots of slush deep snow stuff like that but they did it they they pulled it off um there was no issues with it and then, I mean, that was like a couple weeks ago, like might even be like three weeks ago. And then, so, the, you know, they kind of tore it up and ripped it up, and I'm sure it's firmed up, and we hadn't really got any more snow. And now we're getting this cold snap, or we got this cold snap. Um, now, as I record this, it's it's warming back up. It's actually quite pleasant outside. Um, but, yeah, they called it off. And, and I should have went over there just to see it, but that would have just irritated me even more because I'm pretty sure like that cold weather would have firmed everything up. Um, and I have some evidence of that leans towards that way. So instead of doing that, we're like, well, we got a free weekend. What should we do? Well, there's this other, there's a brand new tournament that just popped up this year called Kings of Panfish. And that's taking place out on a lake called Minnewaska. Um, kind of south of Sauk Center, Minnesota. It's a little bit further west. And so we just kind of started talking. I'm not really signed up to fish it. Um, I mean, not really. I'm not signed up to fish it. Um, 
my normal tournament partner, Joel, he is fishing it with a fellow competitor and buddy of ours. So they're a team. Now I did, I was approached earlier to, uh, the week before we had a Future Anglers of Minnesota event, um, down on Roberts Lake, down by Faribault, Minnesota. And I was talking to my buddy Travis and he was signed up for it, but he's like, He's like, ah, my partner is not sure if he wants to do it. I'm like, well, I can be an alternate. If uh, let me know if you need somebody, I'll I'll fill in. I scratch that tournament itch because I wasn't in Minnesota made this year, and now the one tournament I was doing got canceled. So now I'm like, well, dang it. <laughs> I said, we'll have to find a machine. And Travis was like, no, nope, I gotta. I'll be using the side by side. We're good to go there. I'm like, oh, sweet. So we'll see. Um, haven't confirmed that, but anyways. So we're like, well. Maybe I don't get to fish it, but let's go pre-fish it. I mean, it's a month away, but so, you know, who knows if whatever we learn is even going to come into play in three, four weeks or whenever the tournament is. But it was at least something to do, and it scratched the itch. So we're like, let's just make a day trip out there. Uh, You know, it's it's a couple hours from Joel's house. So that works. I went down, crashed in his place, and we got up and headed out there and met our buddy Timmy and... Just kind of ran around the lake and checked out some spots and found a lot of, um, how do we say, we eliminated a lot of water. <laughs> that's the that's the gentle euphemism of uh, it wasn't that great. Uh, we didn't find any, you know, we didn't find the juice. You know, we found a spot um, that everybody's going to find. It's, this is not going to be a secret spot, but it was holding some fish. Well, it was holding a lot of fish, and some of the right fish you know i caught some decent crappies a couple decent bluegills but it wasn't like crazy and you know they've been saying this lake has potential to kick out some really big bags like they're saying like 13 14 pounds is what it's going to take to win and the structure on this one is eight eight and eight eight bluegills eight crappies um i don't know we didn't we didn't we did keep some fish to eat and kind of roughly estimated what we you know we probably would have had around a 10 pound bag or something like that so which means which tells me there's gonna be a lot of eight pound or a lot of 10 pound bags that's like i don't think you know barring crazy weather conditions or something like that where it just kills the bite um 10 pound bag is gonna probably like middle of the road to win you probably are gonna need that 13 to 14 uh, pound range and we didn't really find the fish that you would need for that quality of a, a bag. So there's, and it's a huge lake and we just barely scratched the surface on it. So they'll definitely have to, uh, put in some more time out there. Um, not sure I'll make it back out there. I mean, if, if my buddy Travis gets a hold of me and says, Hey, you're in, then yeah, for sure. We'll have to schedule some pre-fishing and my, my, uh, weekend plans will probably change relatively drastically although there's only so much i can do it's quite a drive for me from up here um but coming up we do have um the hometown heroes tournament event with minnesota made i'm signed up to volunteer for that taking a team as i do every year i wouldn't miss that for the world so i'm looking forward to that um also i think the first weekend in march i have Another Future Anglers of Minnesota event on Clearwater. I have to go to that. Uh, I say have to. Not. It's not like 
oh, I have to do that. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm uh, signed up as the, the team captain for that one. So I'm kind of the one that has to organize that one. Um, so I'll be there for that for sure. So I got it's it's getting busy. So as I mean, I got nothing to do next weekend because I was supposed to be fishing a tournament and I'm not. So I'll figure out what to do. Um, I know Joel hinted at maybe coming up here and we could you know if we grab some snowmobiles we can do some adventure stuff. Maybe try the Lake Trout Lake that I've been wanting to get to. Try this little backwoods um, potential big bluegill spot that I found just doing some uh, scouting around on the Minnesota DNR website. Um, the survey for this lake I found looks real good for bluegills. Of course, you know, it's, I don't, I don't remember how many years old the survey was and a lot can happen in that time. Like, especially because water levels are down. Did it winter kill? Does it winter kill? Who knows? But it's pretty remote. Like you, you're only getting there by a snowmobile for sure. Um, so I don't know how many people fish it if anybody, but the survey had quite a few in that 10-inch range. So you don't see that a lot on those DNR, DNR surveys. So that, that tells me quite a bit. So I, I wouldn't mind getting back in there. That could be, at least has the potential to be something <laughs> real special. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if uh, his what happens? I might do something this weekend. I don't know. I mean, I'll do something this weekend, but whether it's that or go down there or, I mean, I'm just so, I mean, at least if he came up here, I could do that. Cause that's the thing is you're all well versed that with my four wheeler continued to be, um, frozen in carbonite, like Han Solo and then North woods. I don't really have any means of getting around and kind of exploring and doing fun stuff up here by myself. And I'm learning that up here, solo adventures, in general, not the smartest idea. So, uh, oh, let me go back a little bit further. So uh, the weekend before last, on my way up, I decided to hit this little um, WMA pond that I've fished multiple times. It has pretty good average size, no, like, super donks in it, but it's it's got a good average size. It's easy to get to, easy walk. Like where you fish is like pretty much right where you access the lake. And I knew I could go there and catch some fish. So I did. And it was exactly that. I started catching fish right away. Like I drilled, I don't know, as I always do. I drilled like 12, 15 holes over this flat and went back to like my the first hole I put my Vexlar in. It was absolutely lit up like a Christmas tree and just proceeded to beat the brakes off of them. And then I changed holes, not that I needed to, but just cause variety is the spice of life. So I did that and I got pretty bored with that right away. When it was starting to get dark, I was like, all right. So I did that. I get back out in my truck. So I went down this little, like the trail to get there, you know, and I'd, before I'd been there, you know, we've ice fished it a few times, never had any sort of access problems. Um, but, it's been a long time since we've had this much snow. So I looked at it, I'm like, oh, I'd get in there just fine. There's like a lot of four-wheeler and side-by-side traffic and, and snowmobile. Should be fine. I get on there. I'm like, yeah, it's hard pack. We're good. So I go all the way there, um, fish, and come back. But that hard pack is like pretty much just that path. And there's a little parking area there for the landing. But you can see that that was all soft. So I'm like, well, hopefully I don't get stuck turning around. But we'll see what happens. So I 
backed up into that thing. Everything seemed fine. And then I was, and then it was fine until it wasn't. And then, you know, you dig in. And then when I got to that hard pack and it kind of fell through a little bit of that crust, now you're into that, your two block stage. It's like, oh, God, here we go. So, <laughs> uh, hop out. I had my spud in the back of the truck. Thankfully, I didn't have a shovel, which, mental note, I need to throw a shovel in the fair and be doing this stupid solo adventure bullshit. Uh, but I was able to, like, use that chisel and break that hard pack away and then get going. But it was, like, it's so, like, underneath that hard pack, the, the snow, like, turns into this, like, crystal sugar. And it's just, like, you get no traction. But so I just I kept doing that. And, like, I don't think I was all the way, like, up I have the stupid running boards in this truck and that doesn't help. So I freed all those and, you know, I would get the wheels clear, which I looked like they'd, they were clear. I'd jump in the truck, put it in drive and nothing go in reverse. Nothing's like, what? I don't hop back out, do it again. You know, and I just I kept doing that. And, uh, finally, you know, you started noticing like, Oh, I am moving forward a little bit. And it was a game of inches, like literally. And then once I was finally able to, back up enough and get a good enough run i was able to hop up on that that hard pack and then starting to turn but i couldn't fully make the turn so i had to back up again repeat the process it's like so i dropped into a whole brand new rut and it's like oh my god this is just these tires aren't the best either they're definitely highway tires in this truck like <laughs> my old truck i had the old, my gmc denali i had a couple years ago that thing was beast man i had i never got stuck in that thing like ever and i remember bombing out on like big marine um pre-fishing after we had like got a ton of snow and um not not a problem it went everywhere and i had different tires and they you know had like the all-terrain the wrangler all-terrains and these ones are michelin something or others i don't know what they are but i'm not impressed um so when it comes time to buy new tires i i would buy them now if tires weren't just you know everybody knows how expensive truck tires were are so there's still plenty of tread on these ones i'm not just going to swap them out for the sake of swapping them out but when it comes time where i it's i have to i'm definitely getting rid of these things and going back to those wranglers i think they're like wrangler xts or whatever the hell they were called those those tires were great um got i got a half of mine to take the running boards off too like what's the point of them damn things other than something else to get hung up on but so I finally got pointed in the right direction and I was able to get out of there. That took me two hours <laughs> to get unstuck. I was like, oh my God, here I am. And I had these visions of when my four-wheeler got stuck and I'm like, well, I'm here till I get out because I don't have the option of walking away from this. And it was getting cold. Like that was a week ago last Saturday and it was... I'm getting, this is going to go below zero if it wasn't already. Uh, it was cold. Um, oh, God, what? I was just like, I'm like, how how do I get myself in these situations? And then, uh, so, yeah, I was able to get out and got home a little bit later than I would have liked to. But, hey, man, at least, at least I got out. But, anyways, back to this last week. And it was fun running around that lake and doing the camera work and, you know, looking at fish and, using the live scope and trying to chase down fish. And it's always crazy to me, um, like, the different 
moods that fish are in because you'd find certain schools that you could drill on you could walk on no problem you know oh they're over there they're 50 feet and you pace it off drill a hole they're still there yep they're still there walk over there drill on them fish on them fish them catch them no problem and then you'd find other ones you're like oh they're 40 feet over there and, and just by not even drilling just by walking over there he could see them scatter or sink down to the bottom on live scope it's like man and you know i'm trying to be quiet and it, it's remarkable. It, it, someone should drop a microphone under there and just see how much noise goes through the ice where the fish can hear because there was quite a bit of ice up there. Like, it was two feet at least, if not more than, in a couple spots. Like, it was used all of the flights and then some on the auger. Like, it was a lot, you know, and then there's packed snow on top of it and. There was no problems. You could get around pretty much anywhere you wanted to. We did get stuck one time, and we just were using Joel's truck, and you know we just got out and pushed and rocked it, and, and we get out just fine. It really wasn't bad. If you can't kept your, and the only reason we even got stuck is because we were going slow. Like we'd have been, you know, you don't have to bomb across the lake, but just you know, a moderate speed, you probably would have the momentum to get through any sort of sketchy spot it was the same thing you kind of break break through that like a drift crust and then it's that sugary crystal sand underneath and just stuff is just super slick but anyway so that that was a lot of fun um then uh sunday slept in and then we decided you know let's go check out um this lake that, that was east rush where we had had I think did we fish? I think we fished it last year in Minnesota Made. And in pre-fishing and scouting, we had found this spot that had a ton of bass, like largemouth bass in it, and they're super fun to catch on ice fishing gear. And so I was like, let's go check that out. Like it's super easy to access, you know. Um, let's just go there. Cause I, I wanted I was actually going to keep a bass to eat because I've been something, an idea has been rattling around in my brain. I think I've shared this before in the past. I know I've shared it with people. So I want to make my own fish stock, which I've never done. Obviously, you know, I've used, uh, like, ducks and geese, and I've made my own stock from that, and it always turns out really good, makes for a great base for a soup or a stew. And I'm like, it can't be that hard to make fish stock. And I looked it up. Yep, it's pretty much the same thing. You just, you know, you simmer the carcass until the meat and everything falls off, strain everything out, and boom, you're left with the stock. Well, I've made a lot of seafood bisques in the past now i just use like frozen seafood mix you know the one i like um you should get it from like a grocery store like even walmart it's a it's a mixture and it's got like calamari like little squids in there and mussels and shrimp and i just got the fake crab which i the imitation crab which i hate because when you when i do this it like unrolls and it looks it's i should just take those out of there but anyways that always gives a nice um fishy flavor in a good way to that to the seafood stock and then I make the bisque and it's um, pretty damn delicious. So I've been wanting to make uh, make a dish, one that I have never heard of anybody making, but taking a play on the uh, eel pout or burbot nickname of poor man's lobster, I wanted to make a poor man's lobster bisque. Now, of course, I need to catch an eel pout to do that, which I plan on attempting to do this year anyways um but i'm like you know what why wait i'm gonna i'm gonna let's catch it hopefully catch a bass keep a bass and i'm gonna experiment with that that way i'm like 
if I do finally get out eel paw fishing and I catch one or I catch two and it's a epic failure or I need to tweak the recipe or do whatever, I'm not burning it up on my one shot at making this dish. So my goal was to catch a bass, keep a bass, clean a bass, and then make my bisque. And my plan is to, you know, make the stock, make the bisque, and then once the bisque is completely finished, you know, with the with the cream and butter and all that in there and it's seasoned properly, I'm going to heat it up, and then I'm just going to take the cubed fish meat and poach it right in the stock. So it should take up all that flavor, cook till it's just, you know, just done, and then eat it that way. I think it's going to be really good. It should be really good, but I've never done it. So you just, you never know how something's going to turn out. Um, so that's what we did. We headed out there, and we went right to that spot where we had some pins, and uh, right away dropping the camera, we're like, well, it's not going to be the same because there just wasn't as much weed growth there this year as there was last year for God knows reason. Prob- the reason probably is all the snow that we've gotten this winter that they're just probably not growing underneath there. So went in a little shallower, started seeing some weeds, but still no bass or bluegills. And there were some decent bluegills in the spot too. That was our first spot that we fished for the tournament. Went and got our the bluegills that we wanted and, and then went after uh, crappies, which ended up being a, a mistake but <laughs> anyways but he was he's like oh there's some perch on there and coming up the case like these actually look pretty good and so he's fishing around he's like do me a favor and drill a hole because he was using his little four uh not even a four inch little two inch camera auger and he's like drill a hole and catch one of these i want to size check him he's because he wanted to keep some more fish too he's like i wouldn't mind you know keeping some nice perch i'm like all right so i drill a hole drop jig down there did not take long fish flew up they're really aggressive, boom, boom. Sure enough, like nice perch, like real nice. Not like trophy, not like 13 inches, but like tens, you know, like, well, I mean, there were some smaller ones too, but the keepers were, yeah, like 9, 10, maybe even 11. I didn't actually put one on a bump board, but they were nice. Some of the better perch I've caught in a long time. So threw a couple of them in the bucket, and then so we fished there for a little bit. I drilled a bunch of holes, and then we couldn't find another keeper. Then it was they were all like, I caught a bunch of sevens. I was like, what the heck? Where'd the good ones go? And then we're like, well, let's go somewhere else. Let's go to the weed flat, find some bluegills. I still would like to catch a bass. So we did that, checking all our old pins, and it just wasn't this wasn't like it was before. Um, didn't see any crappies, didn't find any crappies, didn't catch any crappies. We did find some decent gills, some nice keeper-sized gills, so we started keeping those. I never did catch a bass. But in a stroke of karma, so while we were out there doing that, this old-timer came out there, and he comes out with the truck, and he's got his spud, and he's, like, checking old holes, you know, which one he could pop open or whatever. I'm like, I'm just going to go over there and drill this guy some holes. So I was like, hey, where do you – he's like, well, I'll open them up with this. I got an auger, but it's – you know, it's, I don't have a problem drilling it. It's like when I come to stand back up, that's the problem. I'm like, oh, just point where, – where do you want holes? I'll drill you some holes. And so, you know, I – I drilled him some holes, and I said, and I got holes all over this flat. I said, you find an open hole, just fish it. Don't worry about us. We're fine. Uh, you knock your stuff out. He's like, oh, okay, thanks. I'm like, yeah, no problem. So we did that, and then we went and checked a different spot. and didn't pan out. Came back to that spot because we wanted to catch a few more fish. And so we did that. Turns out, old-timer over there caught a bass. And Joel was like, talk to him. And he wasn't going to keep it, but Joel mentioned that I – 
might want it. So he came over and he's like, hey, do you want this bass? Like, hell yeah, I do. And it's like the perfect eating size. I actually wouldn't mind one a little bit bigger, but this one was probably like um, a 14-incher. So like pretty good flayable size. And Because what I wanted was a thicker thicker meat. You know, I could do all this stuff with panfish carcass. I can make the stock with bluegill carcasses. That's not a problem. But when it comes to the actual poaching, like I'm trying to mimic the poor man's lobster bisque that I'm going to try. And so I kind of want like a decent size thickness of a fillet. So I'm thinking like maybe, you know, like one inch by one inch cubes or, you know, at least half, three quarter inch cubes kind of chunk meat. That's what I'm, in my mind, I'm, I'm going for. So I want it to be meaty enough when you bite into it. Um, so, you know, maybe a 15 or even a 16 inch bass would have been a little bit better, but it'll work. It's going to work for a good rough draft. So as I'm recording this right now, I have uh, fish heads in a pot and fish carcasses in a pot, and I'm reducing those. You know, I sauteed some onions, put some garlic in there, some parsley, some celery, uh, pepper, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You know, I got so I got the stock going. So we'll let that. We'll let that do its deal, and then I'm gonna attempt to make that uh, bisque again tonight. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I'm cautiously optimistic about it. But another thing I started thinking about—actually, shouldn't say started thinking about—I've been thinking about this for quite a while, like years. Never really been a big fan of liver, um, like beef liver and stuff like that. But what I have been doing, just for the straight nutritional point of it because liver and other awful or organ meat is like super nutrient dense like super good for you and not being a big fan of liver what I've been doing like when I make those duck and goose stocks or I make a stew what I've been doing is just I've been taking the livers finally chopping them up and just throwing them in there then they basically just dissolve or I mean maybe I'm eating them and I don't know that I am they just become part of the soup or the stock and so I don't I'm not individually like eating liver knowing I'm eating liver but I'm getting all you know I'm getting the nutrition of it so I started thinking I'm like okay don't do this with fish liver so I was like is that good for like is there any health so I like today I'm like googling you know health risks or nutrition factors of fish livers and you know it turns out like cod liver oil is like when you're eating fish pills if you're taking fish pills for the vitamin a uh, it's, that's, that's what it is. It's, it's the oil from like cod livers. And so I was like, well, obviously that's not bad for you. It's good for you. Not only is it, is it a high in vitamin A, but it's super high in vitamin D as well, which it's one of the few food sources where you can get vitamin D. Generally, we got to get it from the sunshine. So I'm like, oh man, in the winter, like almost everybody's vitamin D deficient, at least in the Northern climates, like, this could be a way I'm like, God, I wonder, I wonder what that tastes like. Because like when you say fish liver right now, as you're hearing me say that, does that conjure up like tastiness to you? It doesn't to me. Like my initial reaction is like, Ugh. Uh, but then I'm like, why do I think that I have no, I have no basis for it. So I was like, I want to clean these fish. I'm saving the livers. I'm just going to try it because in my research, I found some recipes and they're just like, oh, yeah, just saute it in butter and salt and pepper. It's really good. And I was like, huh. They're like, it's not what you think it might taste like. It doesn't have a strong fishy flavor. Uh, So I was like, well, 
fuck it. I'm going to try it. And so I didn't even get fancy with it. I was just like, I'm just going to do what I do every time I try a new type of like protein, just like butter, salt, pepper. I want to see what I'm dealing with. Is this a flavor you want to shine on its own? Is this a flavor you need to cover up? <laughs> like, you know, like what am I working with here? So I did that and uh, I am pleasantly surprised. It was quite tasty. Uh, what I realized, like, there's a lot you could do with this. Um, so I don't know if anybody's ever had full gras, which is goose liver, uh, like raw goose liver, actually, not wild goose, domestic goose. And it's like super fatty and it's like meat butter basically is like the texture of it. And it's very delicious. They usually serve it on like a, like a cracker or a baquette or something like that. And that's kind of where my mind went. I'm like, you know, you could make a really good pate out of this. Like, you could do some pretty cool stuff. So I think I'm going to start experimenting with that too. Um, just trying different stuff. Like maybe throw, you know, uh, melt some Parmesan cheese in there or something or different different herbs and spices and come up with like a pate. Cause I just think that would be like super good. I'm like a baquette or a cracker like with like a charcuterie board type of a thing. And then, you know, spread that on there, melt some cheese, maybe like a balsamic drizzle balsamic vinegar on it or something something along those lines or some other sort of like sauce that you could come up with um i just think that would be really good because by itself it actually was pretty good i was surprised and so yeah getting all the nutritional benefits of it uh i i have heard that you can like you can get like vitamin a is one of the few vitamins that actually in is can be toxic if you take too much of it now this liver's on a bass and a bluegill are pretty small not really worried about it but an interesting factoid for you to put in your pocket and carry around polar bear liver is basically toxic to humans because it's so rich in vitamin a and how it gets to vitamin a is like from what they eat so like big predatory fish um, they have high, higher levels, like the bigger the fish, basically, like the higher, if, if it eats other fish. Because what if it's eating, it kind of like stores up the vitamin A. And so they have higher, like seals have high vitamin A in their like blubber and their meat. And obviously in their livers, I'm sure. And then, yeah, polar bears, because polar bears are then eating the seals. So it's just like, it's like a compounding factor, you know. Like the seals have it so big, like, like it's it's fairly high in like salmon, and you know stuff that eats other fish, and then the stuff that eats the salmon, that's going to be even higher, and then so seals eat salmon, and then polar bears eat the seals, so it's like the highest, you know, and it's like the only thing that polar bears are eating, so it's like it, I just found that super interesting, but don't think you really have to worry about it. If you're going to experiment with it like I am with, you know, I mean, I ate probably, I mean, with, uh, I ate the livers from one bass and, what, four bluegills? Like, it was tiny. Like, uh, I'm trying to think of, like, it wouldn't have even have been the equivalent of an egg yolk. Like, it, it was, like, maybe half or three-quarters of a, a regular-sized egg yolk is, like, the amount that I ate. So, like, yeah, I'm not worried about, like, the poisoning. But um, 
you know, am I going to like wake up tomorrow and be like, Ooh, I feel so much better with all that vitamin A and vitamin D and like, probably not. But my thought was like, well, if people are supplementing vitamins cause they're not getting it. Here's one way to do it. And if I'm already cleaning fish, it, it's crazy to me that we've just been throwing them away. And that's one other thing that I kind of found, like when I'm doing this research, I found these nutritional pages and like scientific studies and stuff like that. We are like quite literally like when we clean a fish, we are taking the only part we save is like the least nutrient dense part of a fish is the flesh. <laughs> like, I mean, it's not that it's not good for you. Obviously it is, but it's like, we just throw everything in there. So today, like when I clean these fish, the only thing that I ended up throwing away was literally the stomach and the intestines. And even that, I read some articles, I think it was through like Meat Eater, like there's ways that you can brine those and, and purge those and clean those and even eat those. But the more I read into that, that rabbit hole, like it's like, sure, you can do it, but it doesn't sound like you get much out of it, even in the way of nutrition or flavor. Like it's, it's like it's pretty benign. Well, I ain't doing all that work for no payoff. Let's put it that way. But because I'm putting the rest of it, and I tried getting the hearts out, but the hearts on a bluegill are really small. Even on that bass, it was really small. It's like like really small, like less than a pea on the bass, and even smaller on the, the bluegills. So I wasn't even bothering taking them out of the bluegills. But that's, you know, that's everything else is in a pot right now, simmering, breaking down. Now, obviously, I'm going to have some waste. I'm not eating the bones. Um, you know, there's I'm going to run everything through a, a strainer with a cheesecloth, right? So there's still going to be some stuff that I throw away. But for the most part, I'm using all of it. And it doesn't really take any extra effort other than cooking it. And that's just a matter of a waiting game. So it's really not that hard to do. Am I going to do this every time I clean fish? No, I can tell you right now, I'm not doing it every time. But what I will probably start doing, because I don't keep fish that often, so going back to that toxicity thing, I don't really think I have to worry about it, but I think I will start keeping the livers. Like, that's easy enough. However you clean your fish, you know, if you go all the way through, if you trim around the rip, whatever, it's like you're going to gut them. Like, it's just, it's right there. It's it's super easy to take out. Like, it's like, that's like no extra work. And then you get a lot of benefits, so doesn't sound like they freeze well or anything like that. So if I go to make that pate or whatever I do with it, it's, you know, we're going to be having a fish fry too, and then I'll make some sort of appetizer. And so I probably won't even tell people I'm doing it just because I don't want people to not try it based on what it is. I figure what I'll do is just make it, you know, like I said, I'm going to, I'll do the trial and error now, find a recipe that I think is like really good that I think pretty much everybody would like. And then, and then I'm just going to make it and then put it out as an appetizer and I'll tell people what it is after it when they're like, oh, my God, that's so good. I mean, if I'm able to actually concoct such a dish. But I'm fairly confident that I'm going to um, come up with something that's pretty damn good. And I'm also looking forward to this bisque on this turns out because if this turns out then I'm gonna be super excited about making the poor man's lobster bisque I think I'll have to make like a video of that I think that would be pretty entertaining and something else for other people to use it's just cool because I haven't heard anybody else like anybody else do it like at all so um you know I do the whole like oh you boil it and sprite or seven up or whatever now here's the other hot tip with eel pout it's the way I've eaten them in the past you fry them just like you fry any other fish like, I don't know why people think you have to poach. I don't know where that kind of stuff 
comes from, but I, I guess they're good. But I think the reason they did it is because adding that sweetness of like the the soda like gives it the sweetness of lobster, which probably adds to that nickname. Um, but like my buddy Patrick Patches Olson over there from the Lone Angler podcast uh, says, he's like, listen, if eel pout tastes like lobsters. You couldn't catch a eel pout in this state. They would be overfished for sure. And, he, and he's not wrong. Like, And they don't. They don't really taste like lobster. That is that is a misnomer. But I'm sure it's going to be good, and I just like to play on the name. So that's, that's what I'm doing there. Now, the other tournament fishing news will be my rant of uh, this program. Um, and not really a full-on rant. Something like a preview rant. Um, so last year, Joel and I had qualified on prior Lake to fish in the NAIFC. Um, and they wanted to make it, the new owner of it wanted to make it like a true national championship. So, you know, they'd have qualifying events from all over the country through the ice belt, but also like from these different leagues across the country, there would be a qualifying event, um, so, you know, much like the Super Bowl we got coming out here for football, it's like you got the two conferences, AFC, NFC, you know, that whole thing. So it's like a true championship, national championship. And I really like that idea. So we actually qualified. Well, as things worked out, we weren't able to fish it this year. Obviously, my wheeler being stuck and just a host of other life things that happened conspired against us. So we weren't actually going to fish it. But we did have a few teams from Minnesota made fish it this year and got back some hmm, not so great reports um but they weren't consistent and the reason i really kind of started digging is not long after that there was a qualifying event in iowa on lake okaboji and that there was a dust up on that, and then I think it was an event in Montana. I don't feel it was low numbers or what it was, but anyways, NAIFC made an announcement. They shut down. It was the end? Like not that tournament. Just like it's done. There is no more. Like that's it's. And I was like, what in the heck just happened? Where there was a- allegations of cheating. Uh, down there in the the Iowa thing, and this is a problem. I'll just give you kind of the, the, I think it's a problem. So the cliff notes are, and again, I wasn't there, so take what I'm about to say with a grain of salt. If you know more than I do, I would love to hear from you because I want a, like, bigger episode on this, like really kind of do a deep dive on this subject. But a team was on the ice, after hours, you know, they have a deadline. You have to be off the lake X time. And there was a team on the ice. And so their penalty was they had like a two-hour penalty or something like that. But it was during the middle of the day. <laughs> so that didn't sit well with a lot of other competitors. And it wouldn't have sat well with me. Because, what, you're going to make them sit out during the slowest part of the day? Like, what? So that didn't, you know, I felt like that penalty should have, came at right away in the morning. Um, but if I was tournament director, they just would have been DQ'd. Like, the, everybody was at the rules meeting. They knew about it. So 
I would be very unapologetic if I was a tournament director. Like anybody caught after hours on that lake, you're just you're just DQ'd. Like you got to make it so that the risk is just not worth it. So that was something to be said. And and much like the walleye cheating scandals, like there had been some smoke, you know, uh, already. People had been talking. And this was kind of the thing that pushed it over the edge. And then I guess they had low turnout for, like, I think it was Montana or something. And they just closed it down. So that's when, like, the story started coming out. And I had heard some rumblings after the Minnesota event. And that was, like, that was the national championship. That wasn't the qualifier. That was the event. And some people thought for Minnesota Made thought they weren't well-received. They weren't very welcomed. Um, I heard from some people that are like, no, they didn't really, they didn't experience that. They thought, you know, they got along with everybody just fine. Um, there were some other issues that came up that like they're, they're going to fish one lake one day and then another lake the other day. And then lake conditions were just atrocious, tons of slush, tons of whatever. But people were battling through it and then pre-fishing. And then again, kind of last minute they decided they weren't going to fish that lake and they're just fish both days on this one lake, which is going to piss some people off because depending on which lake had the lion's share of your scouting time, now that time is just wasted, means nothing, and you had less time on the lake that you're actually going to be fishing. I could see that pissing some people off for sure. So without uh, really accusing, like, being mismanaged or poorly directed like i want to get more information so i've basically been talking to anybody who will give me the time of day about what their experience was on that event and then what their opinions are of the naifc in general so i want to reach out to some more people but i'm thinking if i can if i can make the stars align one of these weekends that i'm down the cities this could be a great core subject around a flight companion because if you really want people's opinions put a little booze in them <laughs> that could get i could get a little heated i may i may be careful what i wish for on this one but um you know it could be fun too you know it could be a, a beautiful shit show as most of them turn out to be but <laughs> so that's kind of where my head is with that um so, yeah, if you were at the championship this year and you have an opinion one way or the other, hit me up on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever and uh, let me know. Uh, I, I want every and all opinions on it. If you have been a part of any NAFC event, uh, if you have an opinion on the organization in general, what your opinion, opinion is of them closing their doors for good, that's good or bad, um, we're indifferent. Like, yeah, let me know. I'd be, I'm very interested. I want, I want to get as much perspectives before I really make, like, before I come out and just make an opinion. And maybe I never do. Maybe I'll just play mediator for, uh, you know, be kind of like the, the voice of reason, if you will, for lack of a better term. If in fact I am able to get a panel together and have a, um, discussion about this whether it's a flight companion or a standalone episode or what um uh, yeah so i know a fair amount of people that were involved in it and 
I just don't want to start throwing names around or throwing people in the bus or whatever until I have um, all the facts or as much information as I can I can possibly give. So, all right, everybody, that's all I got for you this week. Um, not sure what I'm doing yet this weekend, but maybe, maybe some uh, adventures. Uh, we shall see. Um, oh, going back to what I said before, why I think, we'll bring this full circle before I wrap this up, why I think Frankie's uh, made their determination too early and uh, in conspiracy hat uh, realm, some people think they just used it as an excuse to cancel it because uh, interest was down this year for that too because of late conditions. But when we went out on East Rush, which is basically the same area of the state, those ice conditions were fine. Um, there was a plowed road out there, but even if you got off the road, that was all packed down from like snowmobile traffic. The just even where there wasn't snowmobile tracks, like the snow had all settled, everything had firmed up really nice. You could go anywhere you wanted, like with a pickup truck, much less four wheeler or a snowmobile. So I do think that they. I don't know what their motive, true motivation was. I mean, their true motivation was just safety. That's very possible. But I think they called it a little too early because I'd, I'd be interested too. If anybody had gone to Chisago this past weekend, uh, let me know what it was like out there and tell me if, if they uh, prematurely canceled that or not. I would be very curious to, to find that out. But that's all I got, everybody. If you haven't, I have started a new Facebook account. Uh, if you're not up to date, in case anybody who's listening hasn't uh, got a friend request for me for my new one, but Dale Luganbill on Facebook. I had to start a new one. It got hacked, got shut down, all that happy bullshit. Fullscale underscore outdoors on Instagram, uh, Dale Luganbill on Snapchat, and I am also on TikTok, which I, I have been uh, putting some content out there. And I can say I have a lot of it, but there is some. Uh, hopefully plan to do more in the future that's uh either full scale outdoors or might just be my name too i'm not sure do a search i'm sure i'm sure i'll come up so everybody stay safe out there good luck and whatever your passion pursue it full scale i'm will cooper host of hunt stands make your mark podcast for even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.